This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I was lucky enough to have been to rock bottom before, right? So I know for a fact that rock bottom is always the beginning of the newness, right? Like it hurts and it's painful, um, but that's the freaking crucifixion, right? Like it hurts and it's painful. And then there's a waiting where you don't know what the hell's going on and you don't think any of it's going to make sense. And then there's the rising. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I am your host, John Williamson. Adam, my partner in crime, is uh, more than likely on a plane flying somewhere uh, in the world right now. So uh, he's been really super busy with his uh, full-time job. And also our producer, Nick, uh, and his wife, Gina, just welcomed uh, their third child. So a beautiful baby boy. And so uh, both Adam and Nick uh, get a very much, very deserved uh, week off Uh, to rest and relax with their families. But uh, we didn't want to leave you high and dry. So uh, something that Adam and I have been talking about doing for a long time and just uh, haven't gotten around to it is uh, re-releasing some of the episodes that we've done in the past, maybe from a couple years back when we first started, uh, episodes that we felt were very important and very meaningful to us. Um, and, uh, you know, cleaning them up and, uh, brushing the dust off and, and bringing them back out. Uh, uh, so hopefully if you've heard them before, hopefully you're able to enjoy them again. If you are a newer listener and you haven't heard these episodes before, then awesome. Um, uh, think you're really going to enjoy, uh, them, um, in particular this one. So this is the first of the re-releases that we will put out. Uh, this one's with Glennon Doyle. Um, this one was uh, a real joy and pleasure for us to do. Um, she's just a fantastic person, incredibly kind. Uh, but beyond that, she's just doing amazing work. Um, she is a best-selling author. Uh, she's got a couple books out. Um, 
including the the book that we talk uh, about mostly on on this uh, particular interview, Love Warrior, that had just come out at the time a couple years back. Um, and then, of course, we uh, talk a little bit about her her first book, Carry On Warrior, that came out uh, in 2012. Uh, Love Warrior, actually, we found out uh, about a week ago, has uh, been optioned uh, to turn into a film. So they're actually going to make that into a movie, which is very exciting. Um, but beyond just being an amazing author and blogger, uh, Glennon Doyle also is a, an activist, a philanthropist, creator of the online community Monastery, and founder and president of Together Rising, a nonprofit for women and children in crisis. Um, she's raised a ton of money for a lot of really great causes. Um, you may have seen her, um, you know, all over TV. She's been on the Today Show, the Meredith Vieira Show, of course, on Oprah. Um, and her writing's been featured in Reader's Digest, Women's Day, and Family Circle as well. So um, just an incredible interview, um, one that meant a lot to us. Um, so one of the things that Adam and I try to do is to, uh, to, to men um, is we try to, try to bring uh, as many different perspectives um, as we can other than our own. Um, and one of the things that means a lot to us and that is very important to us as, as fathers of two uh, young girls is to um, is to try to be as aware as we can of um, the struggles and the obstacles that that young women face today. And one of the things that Glennon um, really, really uh, does a wonderful job in is is addressing uh, those types of issues and talking about the real struggles that women face in society today. And so, one of the reasons that uh, we had her on was obviously for that reason, but. Uh, the other reason that we want to re-release this episode is because, um, you know, obviously women's issues in society are, are very prevalent right now, especially with the Me Too movement and that sort of thing. And, and we can never uh, talk enough about these issues and, and bring these issues up and continue these types of conversations. So, uh, so this episode is very, very meaningful uh, to us and um, and uh, one of our favorite uh, talks that we've ever had. So. Hopefully you guys enjoy this. Uh, if you haven't heard it before, if you've heard it before, then great. Hopefully you enjoy it a second time. Uh, we will be back with new material in a couple weeks. So we've got uh, lots of good uh, treats in store for you guys uh, going forward and through the holidays um, to end out the year. Uh, a lot of really cool guests that we're excited to, to share with you guys. Um, if you haven't already, check out our new website, um, Ryan Battles. The amazing Ryan Battles uh, really hooked us up by cleaning up our amateur-looking website and making it look pretty. But you can connect with us there on social media. You can join our Patreon family. We've got some really cool uh, packages, including a, a book of the month club where we curate books and we will send them out to you. Uh, you can buy uh, merchandise on there if you'd like. You can follow our blog. So um, we try to try to post there as often as possible. So uh, you can follow our blog there. Um, but otherwise, uh, thank you guys so much, especially if you guys have uh, uh, just started listening to us recently. We appreciate you being here. It means a lot to us. Uh, so thank you so much. And without further ado, here is Glennon Doyle. Glennon's Oil Mountain, or is it just Glennon Mountain at this point? What, what do I say? 
You know, you can still say Glennon Doyle Melton for now. That's how I know you. And I love the three names. It's got like intensity to it. So Glennon Doyle Melton or Mom Mystery, <laughs> as everybody knows you, we are beyond thrilled and, and honored. Thank you so much for being with us today. And welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. Oh, you guys, I'm so excited to be here. You guys are famous with my people. <laughs> famous with my people. I'm thrilled. I feel safe and excited with you guys. It's, we're good. Let's roll. Oh, oh good. man. Let's do this. That, and by the way, that's still a weird thing for us to hear, that's, considering that we record in Adam's basement in the middle of Columbus, Ohio. So you know, I love it. The fact I that love, anyone listen, listens. <laughs> I just got out of the closet. I've been writing in my closet for You still what? do that. 10 years, and I just got out like two months ago, so I I hear you. I feel you. Oh, that's so great. I love it. (laughs) That is brilliant. Well, um, usually what we do is is we start off with having our guests talk a little bit about their background, their upbringing, but that is essentially your entire book. So as opposed to doing that like we normally do, um, I figure we could just start off kind of at the beginning of your book, which kind of starts at your childhood. And just kind of do some high-level overview of, of some of the things that you struggled with throughout your life, which is what makes this book um, absolutely, like I was telling Adam earlier this week, I said, I, I think this might be one of the best books I've ever read, mm. just in general. Uh, so good. Yeah. It's obviously very intensely personal, um, deeply moving. I mean, you left it all out on the table. You, you were, you know, as, as you say, naked in front of the mirror, you know, and, yeah. and yeah. Uh, I think... I just think this is going to help so many people out there, um, especially young women um, who are just bombarded with um, just this media version of what beauty should be. And and we're telling them this is how you have to look. And uh, I just think this is going to be a healing thing for not only young women in that regard, but also just um, there, there's some, some amazing stuff in there for marriages and, and just, uh, from from the male perspective of of your husband and and in terms of how to you know just how to be better husband and how to how to deal with mm. your own garbage keeping it real keeping it real so yeah so let's yeah. start at the beginning um you you talk about in your book at a very young age um i believe you said at, at the age of 4 um you started to notice you know kind of how perceived beauty you know I, how it affected the way that people reacted around you and then you, you mentioned something that really stuck out to me that you're also obviously a very intelligent young woman. And when you would start to speak to people, you noticed that that kind of pushed them away. Yeah, it's interesting. Right? I think it still happens for women. It's like you can you can sense that any sort of prettiness or beauty like warms people, brings them towards you. But then when you speak in any sort of assertive way, that kind of repels people. It's, it's just interesting. It's like a, a warming and a cooling process. Yeah. Um, and, and I still notice that you guys, I mean, I noticed I was a young kid for sure. Like I remember being five and being at my dad's football games. He's a football coach. And I remember thinking like, my job is to smile at everybody and uh. make everybody happy. That's what I do. That's, I had little ringlets and I, you know, people thought I was cute and that's how, that's what I thought power was you know, to, to, to be beautiful. And so that's why it's so freaking hard for girls to turn 11 and 12 and not be beautiful anymore. Uh. (laughs) You know, it feels like a fall from grace, but I still notice that you guys, I mean, recently I was in the airport, I was walking through the airport and two different men stopped me and said, Oh, smile. You should smile. Uh, Oh, geez. It happens to women all the time. And I think it's, it infuriates us and we can't, always put our finger on why, but I think it's because it's like, I think we're just so uh, we're objectified to the point where people 
strangers actually think that we exist to please them with our faces. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like they want us to stop annoying them by asserting our own feelings into their, their experience of us. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost like, you know, it's not just the objectification of women. It's like the commodification of feminine beauty. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, so listen, like I figured that out really early, like that there was something off, you know, with the roles of the world and how hard it was to be a girl. And I think I was just also a super sensitive kid. So I dropped out of life when I was 10 years old, I became bulimic, like a severe bulimic to the Mm. point where it was all I thought about and all I did. And I really think that, you know, I I think the way I've come to understand addiction, because I've been an addict my whole life up until 13 years ago. Um, is that it's just a hiding place, you know, for sensitive people where we go for, to hide from love and pain. And, and that's what I did. Um, and I didn't get the help I needed. So I, that morphed into alcoholism and all the other things. Um, and I was really, really lost for a long time. And then when I was 25, I found myself just on a bathroom floor, um, shaking and holding a positive pregnancy test. And it was just not in any way a happy moment because I was so broken and so sick and so lost. And I still just recognized this as kind of, it felt like my last chance. Like I was close to dead. Mm. So I just felt like, all right, this is the, my, might be my last chance to say yes to life. Oh my gosh. Um, so that day I quit everything. I quit smoking, drugging, drinking, um, puking. I, just a cold turkey. And one day I I started recovery meetings and really it was those recovery meetings that led to me becoming a writer because I remember sitting in my first recovery meeting and just bawling because from relief, because I felt like I had found the first honest people that I'd ever met. Wow. Like I felt like this is freaking church. Like this is what church is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like these busted up people sitting around in a circle just freaking being honest. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. So, so I remember thinking, God, like if I could do life this way, maybe I could do it. If I could do it this honestly. Um, and, and it sucks that you have to find, you can only find a place for one hour a day, like in a basement to be honest. Yeah. Like, that, that's why AA works for so many people for so long. It's just honesty. Absolutely. You know? So it's almost like, why the hell can't we do that? all the time, like in our, in our lives. So I was just desperate for a place to be honest in real life. So that's how Monastery started. I just felt like I needed to be real about, you know, how hard it was to be a sober adult and a parent and a wife and a friend and all of these things that are so beautiful, but also so brutal. Um, and in our culture, you're not allowed to admit they're hard, right? It's like, our culture seriously believes that if you admit something hard, that's an admission of failure. Right. Yeah, right. absolutely. It's crazy, right? Because <laughs> so it's our hardest for people who are doing them right. Yes. Yep. Right? Who are like actually thinking and like in the, in the wrestling match, in the struggle, like being vulnerable, being tender, getting knocked down, getting back up. These are the people who are showing up that it's hardest, that relationships are hardest for. And absolutely. faith is hardest for. Absolutely. Yeah. Just I think, being alive is hard. Yeah, You're paying attention, yeah. just existing. Yeah. Existing. Yeah. Man, yeah. Yeah. And the only thing that makes it easier is admitting that it's hard with other honest people. Yes. Right? It's the only thing that makes it easier. 
So you guys, basically what happened is I was through monastery and recovery and all of it. Like I figured out how to kind of be an honest, engaged human being with the world. Okay. Mm. But what I knew deep in my heart is that I had found a way to be intimate, to have this intimacy with millions of strangers. Right. But I, (laughs) the relationship that should have been the most intimate, you know, my marriage was the least Mm, like Craig and I just were not reaching each other. And we were in therapy to figure it out. I didn't know what the hell was wrong. Um, but I knew, I knew something was wrong. Mm. And, um, so one day I'm in therapy and with him and, and there was just this weird moment where I just felt like this energy in the room. Like, I don't know. I still don't know how to explain it. You guys, it was just this weird energy in the therapist's room. And I looked at Craig and I thought, Oh my God, he's not telling me something. Like there's something that I don't know about my life. Wow. And it's big. And, and I just said, you know what? I don't think Craig's telling me everything. I think there's something I'm missing. And and I expected him to be like, oh, what, what are you talking about? But he didn't say that. And I thought, oh my God, here we go. And so basically what he told me was that he had been unfaithful to me our entire marriage. Um, what? Yeah. Like from the very beginning. And so, and it was, you know, not, I guess what they would call, I mean, it was not relational cheating. It was like one night stand cheating. So sex. Ah. Uh. Yikes. Yeah. So, so I, I, you guys, I don't know. I just, I was stunned. I did not see that one coming. God. You know, I really did not see it coming. In retrospect, I can look back and be like, oh God, of course. Like that's what all of our sex problems were. That was, you know, but really, I mean, I remember being back on my bathroom floor, actually literally back on my bathroom floor. Like I was the first time, you know, with my first rock bottom. And I was like, Oh, I see we're at marriage rock bottom. Now this is what's happening. Um, and so you guys, I just, I kicked Craig out of the house Mm -hmm. and I, I was lucky enough to have been to rock bottom before. Right. So I know for a fact that rock bottom is always the beginning of the newness. Oh yes. man. Right. Like it hurts and it's painful. Um, but that's the freaking crucifixion, right? Like it hurts and it's painful. And then there's a waiting where you don't know what the hell's going on and you don't think any of it's going to make sense. And then there's the rising. Yes. That's the pattern always, but you have to stick around, right? Just, you want to see the rising. you got to freaking stick around through the pain and through the waiting. Cause if you leave, you don't see it. So I knew that I had to just sit in it and, and figure out what it all meant. Um, and that didn't mean for me that I needed to stay in my marriage at all. It just meant that I needed to stay in the pain. Right. So I started therapy again. And what I figured out you guys is that I had a lot of freaking issues left over from my childhood. And I kind of, I got married and I just thought that I could just start over, you know, that I could just become this person. Like I could just become, I, I could just put away this like old bad girl, Glennon, the addict, the bulimic, the drunk. And I could just put her away and just become this new woman, like this new wife and this new mother and this new career woman. And, and, and I mean, that works for a while until it doesn't, mm, you know? Sure. Mm. So, so I just like pulled it all back out from under my bed. And, and what I figured out is that I, I think you guys like 
what happens to young girls. So, so we're trinities, you know, like God, we're body, mind, and spirit. And I think the healthiest people I know, they live out lives of the spirit, lives of the body and lives of the mind. But Mm. I think little girls from a young age, we get so many confusing messages about our bodies Mm. that we just like stop identifying with our body. Like we don't think of our body as divine, Mm. you know, and as like a vessel to deliver and accept love. Like just like our minds and our spirits are because, because it makes sense because our bodies are so objectified by the world that we objectify them ourselves. Mm -hmm. We just agree, you know? Absolutely. So we don't learn little girls. We don't learn how to want. We learn how to be wanted. Oh man. Wow. Right. And we don't learn how to desire. We don't know. Like we don't even know what that fire feels like because we are so used to just worrying about being desired. Right. Mm. And like, my God, you know, I have to teach the little girls who come into my house who are my my son's friends, like, just to stop spending so much time worrying about what you look like because you've got to worry about what you're looking at. Wow. Right? Like, we need little girls who are not the objects of their lives, but like subjects of their lives who are looking out at the world and seeing what they don't like about it and making change, Man. right? Because isn't it a freaking good idea for a patriarchal society to keep women staring in the mirror their whole lives till they die. Jeez. Cause they get nothing freaking done because that's what status quo needs. That it needs women to be so obsessed with how we look that we don't ever worry about what we're looking at. Cause we will never change anything. If all we're changing is our jeans and our hair and our freaking countertops. Right. Oh, that's so true. Good Lord. I love listening to you. Oh my oh, God. Thank you. So, so anyway, this is what I figured out that I got to figure out a way to like, vote my body back on the island, you know, of me and, and figure out how to like use this body as more than just a currency in the world, you know, as like a compass for my life and a way to love people. And and then, and then because Craig's over here and he's a body, mind and spirit too, but what happens to little boys is similar and parallel. It's like little girls get shamed out of our bodies, but little boys get shamed out of their emotions. You know, it's like, Mm. From the time they're little, it's like, don't cry, be a man, you know, toughen up, like all of it. And so the boys vote their emotions off the island. So then eventually we're supposed to freaking marry and like love each other. But Craig's over here trying to love me with his body, right? Because that's where he lives. And Uh I don't live there. I don't live in my body. So I can't receive it. But I'm trying to love him with my mind and my emotions. But he can't he can't feel it because he doesn't live there. So we're just like missing each other, you know? So I just figured out like, my God, it's like everything that, that the world teaches women and men about masculinity and femininity makes it like completely freaking impossible for actual men and actual women to love each other. Oh, that's so God, true. That's so true. Right. It's, it's a setup. It yeah. is a setup. And it requires a complete and total unlearning. Of, of, of everything that culture's taught us. Like it's what I figured out and what this book is, is it's, it's not about learning anything. It's about unlearning. That's what we're all about. Yep. I know you guys are. <laughs> I know. It's like, we're all just trying to freaking be smart as, as wise as we were when we were born. Stay up in the
Well, one of the uh, one of the things that that kept popping up that I thought was really interesting um, in, in the book is that you talk about the fact that because of the way that kind of womanhood was modeled to you at such a young age that you felt this need to create this kind of false identity. And it made me think a lot of uh, one of our big heroes that um, that we often quote is uh, Richard Rohr, uh, where he talks about, you know, the, this your false self and the idea of you have to allow your false self to die, you know, which is almost like a, a sense of, a you know, a type of crucifixion yeah. before yeah. you can be reborn into who you truly are. And remembering, you know, the name that God has, you know, has always been, that God has always given you. Um, and so I kept thinking that, first of all, I kept thinking of that. But um, talk a little bit about that and how you use that to kind of protect, in a, in a sense, your, your true self. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that started for me super early. And it starts for a lot of, like, when I was little, I thought what I was was a pretty girl. Right? That's what got me attention. That's what, um, people loved me for, I thought. And so losing that when I was, I guess I must've felt like I started losing that when I was 10. Um, I could feel that loss of identity and loss of power and felt like, I don't know who I am if I'm not this. Then all, you know, you know, you guys, I seriously feel like what we are is, you know, those like Russian nesting dolls. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So we like think we're one thing and then life just takes that away from us. So we can, we can find out we're actually a truer thing underneath and then that gets taken away. So we're, and and, then it takes you like until I think I just figured out I'm 40. So I'm so excited. I hope I have some more years to just like live in this one truth. But (laughs) what, what happened to me is I replaced drunk and bulimic with wife and mother and writer. And those identities, you guys, they were good, right? Like, they certainly um, got me more praise and um, love than drunken bulimic did. So I thought I was moving in the right direction, right? Um, they're what, what other women seem to want to be. Yeah. You know, I had like a great career and I had a perfect looking family and um, a handsome husband and three like relatively well-behaved children and um I kind of had it made, I thought, but, but look, here's the thing, like thing about women, you, when you ask a woman what she, who she is, she will tell you who she loves, right? She'll tell you, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a friend, but like, that's why women live in constant fear because when we put all our identity in the people we love and serve, what happens? Like what happens if he leaves? Right. What happens when they go to college? What happens if the company folds? Like, I had my identity so wrapped up in the roles that I played, you guys, that when it all went away with that therapy session, because, oh, also, you guys, when I found out that my marriage was a sham and my kids fell apart, it was a week before I was going on a nationwide tour as a family expert. Oh, oh I remember hearing that. Kidding yeah, kidding me. Yeah. No. So, awesome. Like, what the hell am I going to go out and tell other people? I didn't even know what was going on in my own house. Like I felt like such an idiot and such, I mean, such a fraud really, you know? Mm. Um, so that was gone. All of it was just gone, gone, gone. And I, I remember sitting like waking up in the morning and feeling paralyzed. Like I didn't know what to, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what to do. Um, so, so the good news is 
I'm obsessed with the word crisis. This is like a crisis, right? Crisis yeah. is what comes into our life and, and it just kind of, it's what divides your life up into before and after, you know, those moments, it's like the call or the diagnosis or the accident or whatever it is where like you can no longer even access the person you were before it. Oh yeah. So everybody wants to avoid it, but what crisis literally means is to sift. Mm. So like a child who goes to the beach and like lifts up the sand and lets it all fall away and hoping that there's treasure left over. Oh man. That's what crisis is, right? It comes into our life and we're forced to hold our life up in front of us and just watch everything that we thought we needed fall away to find out what's left over. Right. And so what's left over for me, whether it's like the individual rock bottom of when I was a drunk or this marriage rock bottom now, or the second rock bottom that I'm having right now, which is the ending of my marriage, um, is like my faith and my hope and my love. Wow. You know, like these things cannot be taken from me that I keep learning. They, they cannot be taken from me. And also the, the identity, like the identity that when I take off, when I took off pretty girl, when I took off drunk, the Russian nesting dolls, when I took off wife, when I took off mother, when I took off family expert, writer, whatever, that little solid one in the middle is child of God, right? That's the only identity I will go on anymore. Like that's what I was born with. That's what I'll die with. Um, it's the only identity that nobody can ever take from me. Mm. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's why I, I try, I only trust people who've been to rock bottom. Yeah. You know? These are, I, these are the people who are brave and kind and wise and, I'm able to laugh at the days to come, right? Because these are the people who know that the way this life is designed is that the, the only things you really need are the very things that can never be taken from you. Wow. So, so you just start to lose fear, right? Like people used to ask me all the time, like, aren't you scared Craig's going to cheat on you again? And I was like, look, I'm not scared, but it's not because I don't, I know he's not going to cheat on me again. It's because I know I'll be able to handle whatever happens, man. Like my identity is not wrapped up in that anymore. So good. good. What you were saying about crisis reminds me of, I just learned, you know, this word that, you know, the word for threshold comes from threshing floor and it's the same, it's the same imagery. Get out. No, it's the same imagery. You're threshing. You're doing the same thing you were talking about with sifting and these thresholds in our lives, these places we pass through the deconstructions, the traumas, the crises, Leave us with a clearer picture of who we are because everything fake has to die. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. This is a free podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> we don't charge for this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like that crazy dude who was like, anybody who wants to find their life has to lose it, right? I've oh, heard that before. That guy's I've nuts. Heard, who was that guy? <laughs> that guy should that guy should go on tour. Yeah. He should go on tour. He would sell. He out. should write a book. He should totally write a book. <laughs> <laughs> no, he only wrote in the sand because he was smart. Yeah. True. Uh, Nobody can misconstrue your words that way. No comments, no trolls. You just wipe it away. Oh gosh, you would have gotten obliterated on Facebook, though. I know that. (laughs) I know that for a fact. I think bad things may end up happening to that guy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So, one of the things that I thought was really remarkable in your book, and and I mean, 
I, you should see my copy of the book. It's basically my, my daughter learned a bad thing today. She thinks now that you can just draw inside books and Oh, that's great. We had to you have a can. lesson. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I gave her I gave her a notebook today. It's got her name on it. So. <laughs> I'm like, you can draw on this one, but please don't go through all daddy's books and write in them. So Yeah, that that, that, that book became a journal for John. I can I can see it here. I have it's <laughs> It's not a book anymore. Now it's a journal. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. I love that. Adam and I have a thing. We've never talked about this on the podcast, but we have a thing that we do that we both were doing independently of each other and had no idea. Yeah. And that's when we find something that we really like, something that's just a revelation. Yeah. Well, we write off in the margin um, uh, words that we can't use in the podcast, (laughs) but usually it's uh, something along the uh, F me, you know? Guys were my kind of guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, basically, this book is just full of that. So I mean, I could pick any that section is hilarious. of this book. But one of the things I thought was interesting, and I want to get your take on this, just to see. Um, uh, you mentioned when you're going through this kind of transition. I think it was after um, you know the, the news, as you called it um, in the book. But you cut off all your hair, and I did you guys? And your first thought was crazy. It was, I'm no longer beautiful. And maybe that's okay. Wait, are we talking like Britney Spears cut off your like, No, 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 no. No, no I, did not, I did not full-on Britney it. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know because John follows, right? follows your, uh, your blog closer than I do. So I, was, I needed a visual there. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, I mean, but it was pretty short, you guys. It was like really short. It was it's like a newscaster short. It's a yeah. big, that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was a huge deal for me. I don't know, you guys. I feel like I was so angry. Like there, there was a lot of, um, do you know what it was? And I just thought of this. It was exactly like being, it was exactly like becoming bulimic for me. Whoa. It was like this sex stuff, this like sexualization of women, this, I mean, there was porn involved in my marriages breakup. So it was like the gateway to, to cheating was porn and then the cheating. And it was all, I, I was so angry about all of it. And I was angry at my husband specifically, but I was angry at men in general. Yeah. Sure. Like I was so, and I was angry at, at institutions. I was angry at systems. I was angry at the porn industry. I was angry at like, actually I was angry at everyone except for women. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, yeah. I wasn't even angry at like the women that my husband slept with. I'm not sure what, the, I'm fiercely loyal to women, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was angry at everybody else. And I think, I think that cutting my hair off was a way of dropping out and just being like, I, this is my F you to, um, sexism, to misogyny, oh, to wow. like, to being, to, to feeling like power is wrapped up in beauty. Man. Like, yeah. If that's the way this system works, then I don't want to be a part of it anymore. Then I will like, I will drop out, um, voluntarily. Yeah. That's what it felt like to me. Like, I don't want to be looked at anymore. I don't want to be sexualized. I don't want to be a girl anymore. Yeah. Oh, Wow. See, I, I took it as uh, your comments, you know, um, immediately you, you think I'm not, I'm no longer beautiful and maybe that's okay. And to me, that almost seemed like the moment where you were like, you know what, I'm not going to be, my life will not be ruled and dictated by this false, um, just unrealistic idea of what, you know, I'm told that beauty should be. Was, kind, was that kind of the moment where you were kind of, kind of pushing against that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it was like, 
sort of the alchemisty. Like it was like I had to go away from it. I, I my hair's like all back now, like all the way down my back and like bleached <laughs> and all the things again. I'm like straight back in. I'm a complete sucker for every like product on earth again. So <laughs> it's, it's not like I completely feministed my way out of the beauty industry. I did for like one hot minute, but <laughs> that's good. Though. Um, but it's, it's, it does come from a different place now. It really does. Like I do feel like, I'm doing it more for myself than everybody else now. So, so yeah, maybe I needed to get through that time in my life. Just bare bones me, you know, Absolutely. like it was like, it felt like very Joan of Arc-y, like warrior-ish to me. <laughs> I was just like, I'm going to strip down to the barest essentials and just face this um, as me. Oh, that's good. I think we create rituals all the time. To, yes, we do. To help ourselves, you know, learn and understand, you know, in our physical bodies, what we're going through in our minds and our spirits. Isn't that what rituals are? Yeah. And, oh my God, totally. It's sacraments, right? You, right. you have to like make things visible yes. that are going on inside of you that are invisible. Because otherwise we just think we're crazy. Yes. Right? Like, and I remember now that we're talking about this. So during that time, like nobody, everybody was giving me advice left and right, right? Stay, go, go. I mean, everything, even people that loved me, just constant, just advice, advice. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I'm the only way I'm going to get through this is if I figure out if I'm like really still and listen for what I would call God or whatever you want to call it, like the wisdom, intuition, um, the knowing, right? Like of what to do next. Um, so I started just spending 10 minutes a day, just shut out every single voice, just sat in the silence, which is extremely hard for me. Cause I'm like super jumpy. Um, but I did it cause I felt like that was survival for me. And what I figured out during that time, which is so weird is that if I was still enough, there would always be a knowing that would tell me what to do next. Mm. Right. And it was never like a five-year plan. All right. The, the, the knowing would never tell me the way my marriage was going to end or like how it would all go down, but it was reliable to tell me what to do next. And it was never like a right or wrong thing. Like whenever people talk to me about what's right or wrong, like the right thing to do is to stay or the wrong thing to do. I just shut down. Yep. Yeah. Like that's BS to me. Right and wrong is made up of cultural ideas. Like that's, I love the Rumi quote, the, the Rumi poem that says, there's a field beyond ideas of right and wrong. I'll meet you there. Oh, yes. man. Like, that's how I felt about my still time. That was like the field beyond right and wrong. And the, I think the way that God speaks to us in that field is not right and wrong. It's just specific. Mm, it's yes. personal. So specific and personal. And you guys, that is where in my still time, one of those days is where I felt like I had to cut my hair off. Oh, wow. And I remember being like, this is crazy. Like, why the hell would God care about my hair? But you don't ask that question. No. You just do it. Yep. You know, you just do it. And, and I don't know. I mean, I just know that was a really important day in my life when I cut all that hair off. It was like, it was giving away fake power to claim real power is what it was. Man. I, I just love the way that you, you process the world around you. I think it's really interesting and you're so self-aware. I think that's what, I mean, I think there's no, there's no secret to why, you know, you, you get some insane amount of visits on your website per day. 
Um, I, I think you just have this really amazing insight. And one of the terms that I think that you use a lot throughout your book that I love, and I'd love for you to kind of explain it, you know, unpack a little bit is you use this term unbecoming mm. and how that's a necessary part of the journey. Can you, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that what we do our whole lives is we try to become things, right? Like we're born and at some point we believe and know that we are loved and that everyone else is loved, mm. right? Like we are loved wildly and unconditionally and fully and personally and um, without agenda or fear. And then we just forget that, mm. right? So we, we think we have to earn it. Like we think we have to, we don't think we're good enough. We think we have to earn um, love from other people and love from God. So we start becoming things, right? Yeah, absolutely. We become a jock. We become a nerd. We become whatever we are becoming in high school. We become um, an athlete. We become a wife. We become a mother. We become a career person. We become the PTA president. We become, become, become. And, and you can't become your way to happiness. I'll tell you that. Like, Man. you just, you can't. So then, like, you, you get to a certain age. And for me, it was uh, 36, I guess. You get to a certain age and you just, life comes and takes some of those things from you. And it feels awful. Um, but that's the unbecoming, right? It's like, it's like your, your whole life is like climbing a mountain. And then at some point you get to the top and, and you just start, losing, like shedding it all. It's like putting on a bunch of superhero capes your whole life. And then you realize it's all too heavy and you're freaking covered. Yes. Right. Like nobody can even see you anymore because you're covered in all of these capes and and nobody can touch you. Right. Right. And like, what are we here for? If not to be seen and known and touched. Right. Right. So, so you figure out, oh my God, my whole life, I thought I was supposed to be collecting these capes. And now what I really have to do is get rid of them. Man. Right. And then we get down to this naked and unashamed place. Right. With this, which is just capeless. It's just standing. We, you know, it's, it's a freaking AA meeting. It's like, yep. it's, it's standing in front of other people. God admitting, like, there's nothing you can put on. There's no clothes you can put on. There's no personality you can put on. There's no title you can put on that is going to bring you closer to other people. What brings you closer to other people is standing in front of them, like shivering and cold and naked and just saying, I'm scared. And this is me. And I'm, I'm afraid no one's going to love me just like this. Man. Right. And then, and then you figure out that's the only time anyone can love you. That's right. Yes. Because you have to be seen to be loved. Right. Yep. You can be dressed up to be admired. Wow. But there is a freaking chasm wide difference between admired and loved. Admired is lonely as hell. Yep. Right? Admired is on some kind of pedestal, and the only thing that happens to people on pedestals is they fall off. Oh, that's so, so true. true. <laughs> right? So it's just like the the God, the paradox, right? It's like you we think we have to earn it, we think we have to be fancy and shiny and dressed up and titled. And that's why we're not loved. <laughs> oh, my man. Um, one of the things I, you absolutely have to talk about, because this was like one of those re- revelatory moments in the book, is where you define the word woman uh, in Scripture in, in a way that I'd never heard before. And I just thought it was mind-blowing. 
And I think it's one of the most powerful moments in the book as you kind of take people through your journey and then kind of walk them through this process. Um, and then, I mean, it was maybe two paragraphs, but it was, it, I mean, it speaks volumes. So I wondered if you could kind of go into that a little bit. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, there's this like, God, there's this way that women are taught in many, many, many Christian churches, um, about the creation story, um, about how we were made. And, and it basically the way it goes is that God made Adam and, and then God went into Adam's body. I don't know why we never question the fact that the only time that a person has ever come from a man's body is in the creation story. Like, (laughs) like why does no one call BS on that? All right, Right. fine. Moving along. (laughs) Um, So, so, so basically like then, then God creates Eve from, from Adam. And and when, when she is comes to fruition, um, he, God names her helper. Okay. So, so God made Eve as a helper for Adam. So this is something that's been taught to, to Christian women for as long as time. And, um, and so, and, and, Basically, one day I was I was at church after the separation, and a woman actually and I had separated from Craig, and a woman actually came up to me and said, "Don't forget." Well, she said, "God hates divorce," and then she said, "Don't forget, um, you were made as Craig's helper." Oh, oh no, she did not go there. She sure did. She sure did. And I just and and I couldn't even be. I mean, I was I was mad at her, but also it was just like she's just a product of of her sure church, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she's been told that and she believes that. So I was so furious, just so furious. Like the, the, this, this institution that's, that's supposed to be made to support people would be like further shaming a woman during this time, you know? And like, I just was so, so angry. And so I, I had been talking to this woman during that time who had convinced me that there was a lot of merit in going around the middlemen of faith, right? Like that there is a way to just connect to, to God, to spirit, to source, whatever you want to call God directly. That like this whole idea of middlemen, like coming in saying, I will translate God to you is a relatively new concept. And that, that I would do well to start going straight to the source. So anyway, I remember thinking about that and going to my Bible that night and looking up um, the passages that, that about God naming woman helper. And then I started, I noticed that the, the original word for, for woman, um, was Ezer. Okay. So I started doing some research on the word Ezer. And what I found out you guys (laughs) is that Ezer is used three times in the Bible, um, to describe woman, to describe God, God's self, and then to describe mighty military forces. Yes. Okay. So really what, what, Ezer means is, is fiercely strong and benevolent, right? So, so it, it, warrior, love warrior. That's, that's, it, that's why love warriors named love warrior because, um, because of the word Ezer, because I of this like it. yin and yang of like this fierceness, but a fierceness that is not used to hurt, but to heal. Right. Ugh. Um, so, so that was pretty shocking to me to find out that a word 
that is used for military God and, and, and woman, and that means fiercely strong and benevolent, has somehow been translated to helper. Yeah, that's yep. pretty whack. Okay, so <laughs> this is why women need to be at the table, okay, when translations or decisions are being made. Imagine that. Because, as Stephen King says, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. That's, that's so true. <laughs> oh, right? I love it. So women have been on the menu for a long time. Um, and, and, and especially since, since the decisions that are made around faith and religion permeate our culture in so many ways, even for people who are not involved in, in churches or, or faith. Um, we really, really have to make sure that all groups are represented when important decisions are being made. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Man. You know, one of the things that we've kind of or at least I've been observing that we've been kind of talking around and we've even talked a little bit about, but I'd like to just kind of get specific for a second and get your thoughts on some things here. One of the things that I think we've been talking about a lot and the work that you do that kind of parallels our work a little bit here is like you were talking about with the capes and like we were talking about with the false selves, like we all have these fantasies we live in with these imaginary worlds, these constructs that we either inherit or we buy into, or we just don't even realize for a while. But then eventually the real breaks through. It challenges the fantasy. It challenges the imaginary. It's the real. It's the raw. It's the painful. It's the truth. And it cracks through. It breaks through. And that's traumatic. You know, like we talked about, that's a crisis. That's traumatic. That's sometimes horrendously painful because you're all those identities, you know, all those realities, all those fantasies that have grown to be a part of who we are and how we connect with the world. And they're, you know, all of a sudden they're all in jeopardy or they're all gone. And, you know, like you were lying on a bathroom floor. And so this link between trauma and worldview shift, what we kind of call deconstruction it is so common for our listeners. And you know, no matter how that kind of ends up going, it seems to very, very much affect uh, where they are in terms of spirituality or how they see the world, uh, God, love. And I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about, you know, this kind of connection between trauma and worldview shift, deconstruction, faith, God, like how do you see these two ideas playing out together? I'd love to hear in your very raw, honest way, some thoughts on that. You guys, I'm obsessed with pain, okay? I know that sounds like ridiculous, but I just think that it is the most undervalued, most underused, underutilized resource in our bodies mm. and in our, in our world, in our life. Like, I, have, I spent the first 25 years of my life running from pain, right? That's what addicts do, just hide from it. And now I'm just doing the opposite of that, running towards it, because I have learned that all the good stuff is there. Wow. Like, so I'm in the grocery store, like a few weeks after the separation, I was just looking just aggressively bad because I hadn't showered for like 10 days. And (laughs) I I do rock bottom right, you guys. (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) I go all out. Um, I mean, I go out looking so bad that people stop me. 
and they're like, oh my God, are you okay? Like, I've gotten free stuff from this. Hey, here's $5. I hope. Yeah, yeah totally. Like just anything, take it, take it. Um, so I'm at the grocery store and, and this, I'm just looking terrible. And the lady asked me for my ID and I hand it to her and she goes, um, oh, Glennon, that's a pretty name. What does it mean? And I said, oh, it's an Irish last name. It means girl from the valley. Um, and then I started laughing because I was like, oh my God you don't understand this, but I spend my life with my butt, like in the Valley. And I, I thought this was my fault, but maybe my parents cursed me. Maybe this is like my destiny. And (laughs) she goes, hold on. Don't knock the valleys. Everybody wants to be on the mountaintops, but up there, the air's so thin, you can hardly breathe. Mm. And all there is to do is stand still and try not to fall. But in the Valley, that's where the river runs. Mm. That's where all the power is. Whoa. And you guys, that's what I keep learning over and over again. Like, I mean, I've had my mountaintop moments. I still do. Right. Like I'm on stages and I'm on lists and I'm like, and I always feel kind of like shaky and nervous during those times. And none of it ever feels real ever. And I'm obsessed with real. Right. Mm. But like when it all falls apart, I'm not saying that like I'm a masochist or anything. I'm just saying like, when things start to fall apart, I know there's some magic coming mm. because we don't get evictions from our life unless we're also being invited to a truer life, right? Like there's a force that God that is for us and that is constantly moving us. It's, it's progress. I mean, to me, that's what a progressive is. Like it's, it's like this constant state of progress. So as painful as these crises or these evictions feel, they are an invitation forward, right? Absolutely. Always. So, it, but we have to grasp hold of it, right? And like, and, and it's so funny, especially for Christians, like for Christians to avoid pain or to think that pain um, is a mistake mm. or um, is shameful or it is, is so ironic because, you know, if, if there's any lesson that, that, that the crucifixion taught us, it's that pain is the most world-changing, healing power on earth, yes. right? Yes, Right? This is a guy who walked towards his own crucifixion. Yeah, set his That's face like a flint. Right. That's who we're professing to follow. But we hide from pain like, um, God, like it's not going to turn us into the people we were made to be. I think that's the secret. I think that pain can be if you if you're if you're brave enough to march towards it every day instead of hide from it and you sit in it and you're still with it. I think it kind of turns into this fuel. It's like alchemy a little bit. Like it turns into this fuel inside of you that you actually use to burn to get your work done on the earth. Mm, man. It reminds me of in Paul in Corinthians 15 when he's literally taunting death. Uh Oh, death, where is thy victory? Oh, death, where is thy sting? He's literally like talking smack to death Uh because pain is like in Pauline theology, like the most redemptive thing imaginable. It's the only thing he brags about. You have a lot in common with the apostle Paul. That's right. That's right. But like, but the thing is we have to believe we can take it. Yes. That was, that's the other, like the word, the warrior word that, that really gets to me that speaks to me and moves me. I think it, it comes from being a recovering addict and thinking for so long that pain would kill me. Right. I mean, what happens you guys is we start to feel pain and then what the world does 
is the, the second we start to feel pain, the world starts offering up these like easy buttons to get out of it. So do you guys remember the Staples commercials where like everything would get painful and then in the office and then somebody would press this red easy button yes. and the whole office oh, would be oh, like, yeah. transported out of that place into this pain-free existence. So that's what happens to us. And so we start to feel pain and then the world shows us these easy buttons like booze or food or snark or unkindness or war or, you know, scrolling, scrolling or Facebook or shopping or whatever our easy button is. And so we press it and we get transported out of our pain. But the tragedy of that is that the second we transport out, we miss all of our transformation. Because everything that we needed to become the people we were supposed to be is actually inside of that pain. So if we don't sit it, if we don't sit with it, we don't get the courage that we need for our next challenge, right? We don't get the wisdom that we need for our next um, climb. Like we have to earn it by staying in the pain and not resisting and not hitting the easy button. So what I figured out was, oh my God, like I need to stop. This whole freaking deal is that I need to stop being afraid of pain and start being afraid of the easy buttons. God, that is so good. Uh, I hope people listening to this at home aren't driving off the road, you know, like <laughs> trying to take notes. I mean, you know. I can hear the, the remarks online right now. Oh, uh, John and Adam are fanboying out. You're, you're damn right we are. <laughs> <laughs> Deal yeah. with it. Go ahead. Leave us a negative review on iTunes. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Uh <laughs> One of the things that I, that I noticed in, in your book is this theme of when you're trying to um, wear those capes or those, those, uh, those masks or whatever the, the case may be, um, you, you talk a lot about, it's, well, I should say, a better way to put this would be that you kind of isolate. That uh, seems to be one of the common factors is just this sense of isolation because it's easier to, to kind of distance yourself. Like I think you refer to it as uh, helicoptering. Above, mm-hmm. you know, you stay removed. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about, because you do also mention, and I, I kind of want to tie this into your church experience, because you had these moments throughout your life, these tragic moments where it would have been like this beautiful opportunity for the church to step in and, and, and actually be useful and helpful. And, you know, you got the opposite treatment, essentially. But yet in the end, you, you, did, you did find a church, you did find a community Hmm. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about like what role did community play in, in your healing process? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's community is, it's, it's hard for me, you guys. So I'm a raging introvert. Okay. Like such, such an introvert. So I think that that played a role for me as a sensitive kid young. I mean, I, all I wanted to do was read. That's still all I want to do. You guys. Oh, we're with you. All we're with you on that one. Do yeah. It's read. Yeah. I mean, God, any kind of get together is so stressful for me. I can be behind my computer um, or I can be on a stage. Like I can be on a stage in front of thousands of people and be fine. Sure. But put me in a room with three people like or a cocktail party or like I just get so, so overwhelmed. Mm. Um, So for me, I learned, you know, these dropping out strategies, right? Like whatever you do to be there, but not there. Reading was certainly one. Eating was another thing for me. Um, and I still do it because I spend so much time in my head, right? So my kids actually call it underwater. So they'll ask me a question and I can't, I don't answer them because I'm in the room, but I'm not really there. And then I'll hear one of them go, oh, mom's underwater again. Oh, man. 
I know. It's like, I don't know how much shame to take on about it or how much just to f- say, you know what, there's worse things I could be doing than thinking. It, all right. Oh, well, sure. So, it yeah. is what it is, man. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I'm here. All right. I'm feeding you. You don't know how bad it could have been. You, your mom was almost like Miss Hannigan. Okay. So I don't <laughs> oh, want to hear you're complaining about her thinking. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- as far as the church goes, I don't know. I mean, I think what I was, I was a, a Catholic um, girl. I've kind of taken bits and pieces of every single faith I've ever been and sort of like made my, what works for me. Um, I will tell you that I am, I'm a Sunday school teacher now and I, I, I um, have an unbelievably open and inclusive and loving church, which is the only kind of church I would ever step foot in anymore is, is um, a church that's inclusive, fiercely inclusive, like Jesus was. Um, so I'm there, but, but I'm there because I am, I really want to be part of a community that's based on loving. Well, it's not because I think I have to go to church to get God. And I think that's another thing that Mm. I had to like, I had to reject completely for a while so I could come back for a different reason. Right? Like I don't for a second think that anybody has to go to church to find God. Like I live by the Gulf of Mexico, so I know God's at the beach, you know? Mm, oh, absolutely. Like, I have an, an eight-year-old with freckles, all right? So I know that God's with her when every time I look at her. Like I, I, God is everywhere. And um, I, I think I couldn't even be part of a church until I stopped trying to believe that um, there was any sort of system or institution that could bring me closer to God. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's true. Um, so now, since I'm not fighting that idea all the time, I can love church mm. right? and, and, and respect it for what it is. But I don't know. I mean, you guys, all I know about Jesus, I mean, I actually know a lot about Jesus. But what I'm crazy about when it comes to Jesus is that Jesus just like walked around the earth just kind of looking for people that power had forgotten. Yes. Or, that, or, 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 or people that religious, religion had oppressed. That's it. Right. So he just started looking around and figured out who was being oppressed, who's being forgotten. And he ended up, you know, finding prostitutes and lepers and tax collectors. And and he he said, just come eat with me. Right. So we read those stories and and there we say, oh, Jesus, it's history or, 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 or whatever it is. It's history. It's poetry, whatever it is. But we have to think, like, what would who would Jesus be looking for now? Right. If like if Jesus were walking around the earth trying to figure out who is religion oppressing now, who is power forgetting now, who would it be? Yeah. So it would be African-American kids. It would be Muslims. It would be women. It would be refugees. It would be addicts. It would be mentally ill. It would be children. It would be the poor. Like these are the people that Jesus would be walking around gathering and eating. So, so, I mean, when it comes to church, I'm just not interested in any kind of church who's not inviting those people, gay people, transgender people, like anybody who um, power is pushing to the side is, are the, the first people that churches should be inviting in the door. Absolutely. I'm going to use So a, when I yeah, found yeah. a church that, that lives that way, I joined it. I'm going to use a word we don't use on the podcast very often. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. 
I, I'm going to have to check this place out too. I, I, we actually go to Naples uh, once a year on vacation for a week and we're, we're heading down there uh, fairly soon. So you've Get got me. out. Yeah. Coming. Yeah. Coming. Okay. You need to email me. You come to church with me. Okay. That'd be awesome. Boom. That would totally make my week. Yeah, you just made John's day and his wife's day. Yeah. I love it. John, what's your wife's name? Jamie. Uh, Jamie. Okay, yeah. yeah. You bring Jamie to me. I will. I will. Oh, my gosh. Um, so we, we have one more question for you, and then, uh, and no pressure at all, but we're going to bring back the lightning round. We're get, we got to do the lightning round with you. Yeah. And, love it. And like I said, no pressure, but the only other person that's ever done the lightning round, and she, she knocked it out of the park, was Krista Tippett. Krista freaking Tippett. Oh, uh, I love it. No so, pressure, God. Yeah. <laughs> is it hard? Is, no, no, is there, no, no. Is there like math questions? It oh, is no, no. So hard. Okay. All right. It's not like Jeopardy or anything. No, no. We're just going to throw a word at you. And it's <laughs> okay, a totally. I, I want people to think I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure they're already thinking that you are smart. So. Mission, okay. accom- mission yeah. accomplished. So, so all we're going to do is, is uh, I'm going to ask you one more question, then we're going to get in the lightning round. And all okay. the lightning round is, is we're literally going to throw words out at you. It's a very stream of consciousness type of thing. Yep. And whatever comes to mind, it's you just, just expand on it and that'll be perfect. Yep. So, Love it. So before we get to that, though, I have one more question for you. I think this is so important. Like I said, I think this book is going to be just powerful. I think it's going to help so many people, like I said, um, especially young women. And so I, I wondered if um, if you could kind of speak to the fact that the theme, if there was a theme to this book, it's kind of, you know, how do we protect ourselves from being bombarded by all of these essentially lies? Mm. Uh, I mean. Yep. And, and I, the first thing I thought of too, is cause we're about the same age. Um, you know, we grew up, you know, dealing with the same types of things growing up in those days, it was a lot of MTV and, and, you know, teen magazines and stuff like that. And so we see these airbrush figures constantly mm. and yeah. women who are wearing hardly any clothes and that sort of thing. And I can only imagine what our kids are dealing with now with, you know, internet and, and iPhones and just, just this flood of information coming in. Um, so, you know, we have a lot of female listeners and a lot of them are, are dealing with various, you know, types of journeys. Some of them who have emailed us are in really dark places right now. Yeah. Um, and are clearly affected by a lot of these same things. Um, if you could speak to them right now, what, what, what advice would you give them? I mean, I don't have advice, but I, I have some information. All right. So I get to talk to thousands of women. Like that's what I do. I, I write my stories, honestly, so they tell me theirs. All right. It's like the greatest honor of my life. Yeah. Being this, this story holder for women. So here's what happens with women right now in our countries. Women feel like crap. Okay. Women feel, they don't feel good. They feel tired. They feel exhausted. They feel like they're not good enough. Like they're not a good enough wife. They're not a good, they're not hot enough. They're not like young enough. They're not sexy enough. They're not on and on and on. And, and so we wonder why. Why do we feel less than? Like, why don't we feel enough? Okay, so it's it's really, really simple. Okay, so 90% of every single message that we get comes from advertisers. Mm, yep. Okay, so this is a very simple concept to explain. It is It is the job of advertisers to make women feel like crap. Okay, it's not an accident. They're actually sitting in boardrooms trying to figure out what messages, what poison to pump into our lives to make us feel um, inadequate because women who feel less than buy more. Absolutely. 
So if we feel like we are just one set of countertops or one pair of jeans or one diet away from joy and happiness, like, like everyone else is, everyone else is so happy, then we will just keep consuming and we will keep consuming and we will keep consuming um, until we die because you can never really get enough of what you don't need, right? Absolutely. So just that bit of information, like what I say to women is, yes, you feel like you're not good enough. Join the club. It's because it's not because you're crazy and it's not because you're not good enough. It's because you're a canary in a coal mine and there's poison in the air. And the poison is the lies from the economy in our culture, because the best way to run an economy is to make women feel inadequate, right? Because women buy. So first of all, know that it's purposeful. That's why they say you can't serve God in money, right? Like yeah. you, either have the, you either have the truth or you have the economy. <laughs> so true, man. Wow. Yeah. So, so, you know, what I think the most revolutionary thing a woman can do is to, to just consider the fact that all of that is a lie and that she really is good enough as she is. Man. Right. And that in fact, the only way she will ever be present and grounded and peaceful enough to love herself and love her people is to get off that freaking hamster wheel. Because we're all so busy trying to be good enough and earn our love that we're missing our people. Yes. We're missing our moments. We're missing our lives. We're over here trying to earn a good enough life while missing our good enough life. Right? Uh, So true. We're wasting the only resources we have, which are our time and our energy and our talent and our money on creating this fake life. We already have a beautiful one, right? This whole economy is based on distracting women from their blessings. So the most, um, the most revolutionary and life-changing thing a woman can do is just start counting them, right? Like start looking around at her good enough life and um, settle in, right? Because nobody's out there living the perfect life that you're not. Man, Ugh. I don't know if you've ever uh, been familiarized with the, uh, it's a theologian philosopher, his name's Miroslav Volf, he's absolutely fantastic, and he's got um, a line in one of his books, I can't remember which one it is right now, but he talks about how the first gift that we have to receive as people from God, if we're going to receive any other gift, is the gift of ourselves. Ah, that's good. And it's the first Eucharist, it's the first thing we can receive before we can receive anything else, it's just you, I receive myself. I love it. Right up your alley. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because everybody reads that, like, love love your neighbor as yourself. Right. But, like, you got to flip it around, right? Like, love yourself as you love your neighbor. Yeah, man. That's good. Like, we don't take care of ourselves at all, and we doubt ourselves, and we, and we hate ourselves, man. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <clears throat> and nothing good can flow from that. Nope. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, I, there's no better way to... Uh, Dive into the lightning round. Here. Yeah. Oh, here we go. You ready? <laughs> um, wait, no, am I just supposed to say like a word back to you or like a whole thing? Just whatever like, you want. Yeah, yeah, whatever you want. A couple sentences, okay. just, right. some, just yeah. some thoughts. Yeah, just we'll, just we'll just keep it jazzy. We'll play jazz <laughs> okay. here. Yeah. Okay, I'm ready. We need All to right. get some music for this, by the way. I know. We got to have some good music. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so the lightning round with Momastery, Glennon's Oil Mountain here. The lightning round. First word. Peace. 
the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, oh, I love it. I agree. I've been there. I know what you're saying. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, okay. Next word. Beauty. My banyan trays. Mm, oh, tell, nice. tell us about those real quick. I can't. Hit. I bought my house because of the two banyan trees in my front yard. And my kids, <laughs> my kids named them Xena and Philia, which I, I think is from Harry Potter, but means love of all people. And yeah. my daughter whenever she's upset or sad, crawls up in them and, and just sits in them. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, these trees have life in them. And, and they're like this, I don't know if you know how banyan trees grow, but they, they start with one trunk and then they drop off. Like they just start these hangy things that hang down from the branches. And then the hanging things, they root into the ground and create new trunks. What? Whoa. Yes. So it reminds me of a family. Like every time I look at my banyan trees, it reminds me of a family because it starts with like these two solid structures, but then it creates these other almost freestanding, connected but separate trunks. That is freaking killer. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Next one. Life. Light. Wow. Oof. All right. Are we done with our last one? One more? Oh, two more. Okay. God. Love. Ooh. Well, then our last one, I'm curious to your answer. Love. Wins. Oh, <laughs> boom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, we could talk to you for another forever. How about Seriously. that? <laughs> you guys are so amazing. You just lived up to all of your hype, you guys. Oh. You are really great. Well, you can't see it, but we're both blushing over here. <laughs> John's redder than the cover on his microphone right now. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, uh, before we let you go, um, obviously you have this, this book has not come out yet. It's called Love Warrior. It is absolutely phenomenal. If you haven't picked that up for me yet, it is, it, you I don't care who you are, what you're going through. You need to pick this book up. And it's coming out actually very, very soon. When, when can they expect that to hit the shelves? September 6th is its release. So less than two weeks. Yes. Right? Well, that's perfect because that's when this episode is coming out. So. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Perfect. So where can people uh, go to, uh, to keep up on what you're up to and in your work? Um, yeah, just we come to monastery.com or um, Glennon Doyle Melton on Facebook or Instagram um, is where I do most of my hanging out. Okay. Wonderful. We'll have all that in the show notes. And this has just been beyond a pleasure. It's just been insightful and warm and inspiring and, and true and, and raw and honest. And we thank you. Thank you so much for the time you've given us. You guys, don't stop doing your work. We need you. We really do. We need you to keep showing up for people like us, right? We just need you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we get to do this again down the road. I'm sure you've got a lot more to say. I do. Believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Well, we hope you sell a bajillion copies, and we hope you get to hear a bajillion more stories from the people you encounter. Thanks, guys. And we will talk to you soon. Hopefully, John will see you in church in a few weeks. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for everything. All right. Love to the kids. All right. Bye-bye.
Are you okay? I, I, I'm on the floor, right? John. No, I'm <laughs> John. I'm sorry, what? John! <laughs> Sir, doctor in the house! <laughs> oh, gosh. That was like... I, I had sweaty hands. I was worried about you. I, I, I don't get nervous for these things anymore. Dude, your leg was bouncing the entire time we were interviewing her. She was so fun, man. Like it's yeah. Uh, you guys didn't hear this before we started recording, but she has um, little trolls that sit behind her on her bookshelf, like the little the trolls with like the hot pink like hair that yeah. like stand straight up, like, like the Don like, King like, hair. Yeah, like the '90s trolls. Like everybody <laughs> had the trolls. <laughs> And she, uh, Adam asked her about those and she's named them after her favorite authors and friends and, and offered, offered to send Wasn't us one some. of them Rob Bell? Yeah. <laughs> Brene Brown. And ben- oh. oh man. That's so good. Oh, that was so much fun. That's going to be one that I know that I am going to listen to multiple times just yeah. because there were so many mic drop points that oh. I was just like, oh my God. I'm still just like short circuited at all. Just the umph and the strength and the just really incisive, just calling a spade a spade. Yeah. Just being honest about the state of things. Man, and the thing that I'm so annoyed at myself about was the fact that there was a question that I really wanted to ask and I completely forgot. But I think I think it would be fair to say that um after reading this book, just the the journey of her life. And, and, and dealing with all of these symptoms, uh, as, mm. as uh, our buddy Peter Rollins would say, as a result of the, this underlying hurt and pain that she hadn't quite dealt with her entire life. Yeah. Um, it, she sees the way out of that just by, through truth, you mm-hmm. know, and being honest and truthful. And uh, I think if there was an overall theme to her life at this point is that she's just bursting with truth and it's just uh, healing her. You yeah, know? Absolutely. So and I will remember that one forever, man. Interestingly enough, uh, having somebody like Glennon Doyle Melton on the Deconstructionist podcast, you know, for people that don't quite, we don't even quite understand exactly what we're doing. I mean, if we're going to be honest, we know we're just kind of fumbling through trying to strip away religion, strip away presumptions, strip away belief by proxies, trying to challenge our implicit biases. And one of the ways that I think she does that really, really well is just with her incredible honesty and the fact that she has been through so much trauma and just like Richard Rohr would say, like that, that second half of life, a lot of times comes through just learning in, through immense pain. Oh man. That, tr- that deconstruction oftentimes isn't just this like, yeah, I don't know how to reconcile science and faith. A lot of times it's like, no, you find out your husband or your wife were up to something or a child is gone or you lose your job or rejected by your family or then you find yourself taking a look at your beliefs and going, these aren't holding what I thought they would hold. And, you know, then you're, yeah. then you're deconstructing. And she talked a lot about that. Oh, man. I don't know how many times um, she talked about that. And it made me think back to Falling Upward by Richard Rohr. Who me we, too. Who we really don't mention enough on this podcast. We should mm-hmm. really talk about Richard Rohr more. We but need to talk about him a little bit more. People just don't know enough about him. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, but, but my, but I kept thinking back to where he talks about the journey and he talks about the fact that he really sees that in people who are going through alcohol, alcoholic, alcoholics and not, if I can say that word, AA. How about AA. Just AA? that works a lot better. <laughs> my mouth, my mouth isn't working today, but, uh, he sees people in the, in the 12 step program and he sees people who have hit rock bottom mm. are the ones that really get it, you mm-hmm. know? And, and I'm like, wow, that's literally what, what Glennon went through. Yeah. And, and she just gets it now. Yeah, I agree. 
couldn't agree more. That was so much fun. There's really not a whole lot we can add on to that except listen to it again. Tell a friend. Get that freaking book that she just wrote. Oh, my gosh. Subscribe to her blog. Follow her on social media. And hopefully take a page out of her book. If we could all take a page out of her book and learn to be more courageous about telling the truth to ourselves, to society, to our friends. Um, So many of us just live in this imaginary fantasy, and we need the truth to just wreck us. Yeah. So hopefully um, you guys all hear that as optimistically and positively <laughs> as I meant to, to sound, but uh, oh, man, man. That, that was fun. Go get her book, check out her bl- blog. And, uh, and uh, if oh, you like man. the music this week, uh, this band is one of my favorite bands of all time. I've seen them multiple times. It's a band called a silent film. So good. So you're going to hear a bunch of their tracks on here. Um, all their information is in the show notes. They're on tour right now. So go check them out. Um, and uh, as always, like if you like the music we're doing, um, give them a shout out and let them know that we sent you. Um, Absolutely. So we want to we want to have the deconstructionist listeners in force uh, go out and support these these bands who uh, you know who are out there trying to make a living. So we and if you live it. in Columbus, Ohio, make sure you get your tickets for Ask Science Mike Live in Columbus, yes. Ohio. We will be there. We're going to go out for beers with Mike afterwards, and that's going to be a blast. It's going to be a hangout with all of us. So we hope to see you there. See your beautiful faces. And um, apologize for our own faces once you actually see it. would <laughs> be such a letdown. Uh, we love you guys. Thank you for hanging with us on this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it, got something out of it, and you're as excited as John was the entire time we were talking to her. Yeah, and we'll see you next week for our next treat of the three-part uh, series that we have going on right now. Yeah, so. so much fun. Well, we love you guys. Keep deconstructing, everyone. We are your hosts. I am Adam Narlock. And I am John Williamson. Grace and peace.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.